We are reading from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, and this is entitled The Great Commission, and it's on page 706 of the Bibles. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, good morning again. As you know, we've been doing this series uh, that Jane reminded us of before about imagining a world without Easter. And today is the last one where we're imagining a world without purpose. What makes us happy as people? Uh, That's what a uh, study that's last year came out with some more results was looking at, a study done by Deakin University that was answering this question. And the study actually showed that there's three core elements that you need to balance to feel happy. And the first thing that you need is strong personal relationships. You don't necessarily need a romantic relationship. Any kind of strong relationships will do. It's one of the core elements. The second core element that you need for happiness is financial control. And it seems like the saying, you know, money won't make us happy, isn't actually entirely true. Happiness, the study showed, actually increases with money to a point. And that point is earning $100,000 as a household per year. But even those with low incomes actually can still record high happiness levels if they feel in control of how they spend their money. The final thing that you need for happiness, according to this study, is a sense of purpose. You need something in your life that makes you feel meaning. Apparently this doesn't need to be particularly profound, so it could be your job if you see your job as more than just about making money could be being a volunteer, even like in a sporting club. It could even be something like gardening. Now, if you can balance those three things, the study found, then you can have happiness in life, even when you find yourself facing all sorts of hard things. Now, two of these things, they seem pretty straightforward to me, in that they're fairly concrete, definite kind of things. So it's pretty clear when you've got strong personal relationships... And you can kind of measure your income. But the third one, having a sense of purpose, to me it seems less obvious. It's kind of a bit more, feels a bit more abstract. And yet the study shows that purpose is critical for humans to have. And the study shows that most people have some sense of purpose. Even when we go through times where we lack a sense of purpose, we're pretty good at coming up with something new that drives us and and gives us meaning. But I guess I can't help but wonder what our sense of purpose rests on. What is its basis? What gives our purpose a foundation? You know, if today if we were to participate in this study and, you know, the study asked us, what gives you a sense of purpose in life? I wonder what kind of things we might say here. You know, you might say my job, 
as a nurse or something like that, volunteering with Rotary, bringing up my kids to be well-rounded, non-psychopathic individuals, something like that. We'd, we'd have all sorts of responses for what gives us a sense of purpose. But if the question was asked a bit differently, if the study asked, what is your purpose? Not what makes you feel a sense of purpose, but what is your actual purpose? I wonder what we'd say. It's a lot harder to answer, isn't it? Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's one of the most dangerous questions a human can ever ask. And it actually takes enormous courage to genuinely ask it. And relatively few people actually follow this question to its bitter end or its sweet end, depending on what you find. A slightly different way of asking the question is to ask, what is the meaning of life? Douglas Adams gives an answer in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And if you've read it, what's the answer? 42. Okay, quite a few faithful readers out there. <laughs> and if you've read the book, the problem in... That's, this, they have this deep thought computer which comes up with the meaning of life, the universe and everything. The problem is they don't understand, understand the question in the end. Monty Pythons gives an answer in the meaning of life, sort of. It's a strange answer. But basically in both those kind of works, the answer is that there is no real meaning. They do a great job of making the answer to the question ridiculously funny, but when you step back from the jokes, you're left with a fairly horrible answer. There is no meaning to life. Or, to put it another way, if matter is all there is, then nothing really matters. I remember as a teenager being struck by this thought for the first time. Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody made a comeback in the early 90s because it was in Wayne's World. And it's a haunting song. I um, have no idea what it's really about. I don't think anybody really does. But as a teenager, I remember being haunted by the fading lines that Freddie Mercury sings. Nothing really matters. Anyone can see. Nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. I loved the song, but I, at the same time, I found it disturbing because for the first time I thought, is this true? Does nothing really matter? An atheist called Dick Gross, who was a former mayor of St Kilda in Melbourne, he wrote a book where he's attempting to explain why we don't need God to have meaning. And he says, if you consider our meaning from the big picture our place in the universe, this is what you find. We are minute and, dare one admit, irrelevant bits of organic matter in an insignificant corner of a vast space. In the history of the universe, each of us has a humiliating lack of meaning or purpose. He then goes on to say, so whilst our role in the universe and its creation does bear upon the answer to the question about human meaning, I would suggest that we don't use this as a frame of reference. Why not? Well, as far as I can tell, his answer seems to be because it's not a very nice truth to think about. He then goes on to talk about our meaning with reference to all of humanity. And he says, in relation to our race, we're just bags of genetic material on an earth overburdened with them. If we seek meaning in the context of our race, 
The biologists will tell us that we are slabs of meat and that meaning is largely derived from our ability to procreate similar slabs. Now, at this point, at this point, I actually admire his honesty. Now, I don't agree with him at all, but I admire that to this point, he is chasing the rabbit all the way down the hole. And he is discovering that if matter is all there is, well, really, nothing really matters. The problem for him, though, and everyone else who thinks like him, is that this is completely unlivable. And so for almost everyone who answers that life has no ultimate meaning, no big picture purpose, they can't live consistently with their belief. So they attempt to locate meaning in life elsewhere. And where Dick Gross wants to locate meaning is in our feeling of a sense of purpose, of a sense of meaning. And rightly, he locates this sense in relationships. This is the place where we sense purpose and meaning. But the problem is, this is terribly inconsistent. After staring down the barrel and concluding that life has no real purpose, he then says, with reference to our family, we're a vital part of a small group of interdependent people, each one of whom is infused with preciousness, meaning and purpose. But do you see the problem? He's just made it horribly clear that no, they're not. They're not infused with meaning and purpose. Our family is only infused with whatever sense or feeling of meaning or purpose we can manage to muster. In and of themselves, they are, how did he put it? Irrelevant bits of organic matter, just bags of genetic material. That's a very sad view of the world. And yet, if matter is all there is, then this is the dark conclusion at the bottom of the rabbit hole for those who are honest enough to follow it all the way down. No one can live with this horrible, stark view of the world. And so most people who share Dick Gross's beliefs come up with some sort of inconsistent advice, the same sort of inconsistent advice that he gives us. So the biologist, Richard Dawkins, his advice to us, in the face of objective meaninglessness, is that each of us has to forge our own sense of meaning. Or Albert Camus, the Algerian, Algerian French philosopher, his advice in the face of objective meaningless is that people can strive to be heroic nihilists, living with dignity in the face of absurdity, rebelling against and transcending the world's indifference. And the late Christopher Hitchens, a journalist, in a debate when he was asked the purpose of life, he said, I can only answer for myself what cheers me up. Mainly crowing over the miseries of others. No, that's pretty much it. And then he mentions sex and says, but sex gives diminishing returns. And then he says, after that, it's pretty much a clear run to the grave. And the crowd cheers and claps. Now, I tried to understand why. I'm, I'm completely puzzled by this. I honestly can't understand how we could find this amusing if we really understand the true implications. This is deeply disturbing. How can I look my daughter in the eye and think she has no real value, no real meaning, no 
purpose except what I infuse in her. Does anybody really believe that? Apart from sociopaths, does anybody really believe that the only reason that she matters is because I infuse meaning into her? Otherwise, she's just a slab of meat. Now, some philosophers and some biologists, some journalists, they may be lost to provide a solid basis for purpose and meaning. And yet they themselves can't help but live as if there really is a solid basis for purpose in life. And that's because there really is one. Today, we're imagining a world without purpose. But thank God that world doesn't exist because it's truly horrible. Whether the atheist or the agnostic or the religious person knows it or not, the reason it's not inconsistent or illogical for us to feel a sense of purpose and meaning is because real purpose and meaning exists beyond us and it rests on a solid basis because it rests on God. Now, believing that real meaning and purpose exist is more than just wishful thinking. You know, wishful thinking because we can't face the alternative. It's not giving up thinking so that we can escape the horrible reality that nothing really matters. We have a solid basis to believe that everything in this world has real value and meaning because Jesus died and came back to life as a fact that stands up in history. See, Jesus' death and resurrection shows that matter is not all there is. And it shows that everything really matters. If it really is true that Jesus died and came back to life from the dead, then this changes everything. Matter is not all there is. There is someone who stands outside and beyond matter. And it shows that this someone is passionately concerned with matter. Someone who values this world intensely and who gives it unshakable purpose and meaning. So let me explain. The only way a resurrection can happen, of course, is if God exists and makes it happen. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke about some of the evidence for Jesus coming back to life. You know, as I said, the only kind of evidence that validly applies is historical evidence. Things like the way the disciples went from fearing for their lives behind locked doors because their leader is dead, to suddenly, fearlessly, publicly speaking to the world, being whipped and eventually killed for their belief that they saw a man alive from the dead. I spoke about a whole heap of other historical evidences too and we don't have time for me to run through them all again. So let me just add a couple of new ones. Like the evidence for the Gospels in the Bible actually being eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and death written close to the events. So even in small things like the kinds of names that you find, they match the kinds of names that people had at that time in that area. So in other literature... About 15% of men were called Simon or Joseph. And in the eyewitness accounts, about 18% of men are called Simon or Joseph. This is just one small, tiny bit of evidence that adds up with all the other evidence to show that the eyewitnesses really were written very close to the events by the people who actually saw what happened. 
and also the names of governors and leaders like Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas, they can be confirmed in history, in other books and in archaeology. And then you find evidence within the eyewitness accounts that show that the things that you're reading are not made up, like in all the accounts, the first people to see Jesus alive again, back from the dead, were women. In their culture back then, the testimony of of women didn't hold much sway. It's terrible, but it's true. So if you were inventing a story, trying to trick people back then that a man had died and then come back to life, you would never make the first witnesses women, unless that's actually what happened. See, unlike their chauvinistic culture, God was quite happy with the testimony of women. We don't have time to look at all the evidence, like the hostile Jewish sources that can't deny that Jesus did amazing things, so they label him a sorcerer. Or the 13 different independent voices in the New Testament that all say the same thing. Or the early papyri that show that the eyewitnesses that we're reading today haven't changed despite the hundreds and hundreds of years that stand between us and them. Like I said, we don't have time to go into it, but if you need convincing, then let me give you a book after this to start you on that quest. The historical evidence stacks up. Hundreds of people saw a man raised from the dead and the evidence was so clear, it changed them and it changed the world. Now you can say, no, a resurrection can't happen. Or you can look into the historical evidence, just some of which I've hinted at today. But the resurrection does far more than just prove God's existence. The death and resurrection of Jesus gives us a solid basis for the meaning and purpose and value of everything in this life. See, think about the implications of Jesus' death and resurrection. God enters matter as a human. Surely that says something about the value and the meaning and the purpose of this world. And not only that, God the Son dies on the cross in order to restore what he's made back to its purpose. That's how high God values his world. That in Jesus, God the Son was willing to face death to preserve it. And then perhaps even more shocking is that Jesus is raised with a physical body for all eternity. God the Son has taken on humanity forever. That's how much God values his creation. That's how solid the basis for purpose and meaning really is. God is so dedicated to seeing this world reach its purpose that he was willing to, to become a human, face the cross and then take on humanity forever. This world and every part of it matters to him. It, it has a purpose that he cannot let go, that he will not let go. A purpose that drives him to see it to its sweet end, even if it means that a bitter personal cost for himself. But what about our individual purpose? What's all of this got to do with my purpose? You know, does God just provide a logical basis for purpose, a kind of consistent theory, a better worldview to live by? Well, he does do that absolutely, but he does far more than that. 
because he also changes what we feel is our sense of purpose. And this brings us to our last point. Jesus has all authority and we find our purpose when we find him. Look at what Matthew, someone who was there with Jesus, look at what he says happened. He writes, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, I can't help but just stop there. Some doubted. Now, if you're making up a story trying to deceive people, that a man had died and then come back to life, why on earth, at the end of the story, would you say that some of them were still doubting? This is in the closing sentences of his gospel. Now, you could imagine him doing it earlier, saying that some doubted and then kind of resolving the tension by showing how they came to believe. But right at the end, there's no other real explanation except that that's what really happened. Matthew tells you the people who saw him alive, some of them were still doubting. That's brutal honesty. The Gospels, they they never read like fairy tales. They're way too honest. They read like what really happened because they describe what real people really saw. But back to Matthew, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus has all authority. Everything comes under him. Everything is about him. Every detail in this world, every part of this life relates back to him. It's like what Abraham Kuyper said. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Everything belongs to Christ and therefore everything finds its meaning, its purpose, its value as it's connected to him. And we might not see the connection, but that's exactly why Jesus tells his followers to go and call everyone to him. Our ultimate value and meaning is found in Jesus. Our ultimate meaning is found as we find him. Why is our purpose found as we find Jesus? Well, it's like what C.S. Lewis wrote. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. In the past, in the 17th century, when they asked, what is our purpose? They asked the question like this. What is the chief end of man? And the answer went like this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In the 5th century, Augustine put it like this. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. You see, the fact that Jesus has all authority is the best news we will ever hear. Because it means every aspect of our lives can have meaning and value and purpose. Our purpose is to know God, to obey Him, 
to enjoy him and to find our rest in him. And this affects everything else, including what we feel is our sense of purpose. Let me try to give you a small taste of how, for followers of Jesus, our ultimate purpose comes together with our sense of purpose. Because for us, suddenly everything matters, from the big things to the little things. Firstly, because in any and every context, Jesus is with us and we were made for relationship with him. And secondly, because in any and every context, we can live out that relationship with him. And so everything has meaning. And I mean everything. Even the mundane things like changing nappies, packing lunches, going to work day in and day out. We can now do knowing Jesus is with us and knowing that what we're doing is for him. And so as we do it, it's not missed. It's not pointless or irrelevant. Our motivation, our striving, our living out our relationship with him is valuable to him. But even in things that seem horrible or meaningless, like suffering, chronic pain, suddenly have meaning. Because while we might not understand why we're going through them, he knows. And we know that how we bear up in these awful situations has echoes that will last into all eternity when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant and friend. Our ultimate purpose and our feeling of a sense of purpose come together perfectly in knowing Jesus. And so, of course, it's why Jesus says to you, if you don't follow him, he tells us to say to you, come, join us, come find your purpose in him. Come live under the authority of the one who dies on the cross for you. As we've seen over this series, come to the one who actually gives us real reason for hope. Who gives us real reason to believe in justice and mercy. Who gives us real reason to believe that death will not win. Come to the one who infuses everyone and everything with real meaning, real value and real purpose. What's stopping you from doing that? You won't find a more solid basis for ultimate meaning and purpose anywhere. And neither will you find a stronger personal feeling of a sense of purpose than you will in knowing and enjoying Jesus forever. C.S. Lewis also wrote about his own coming to Jesus from being an atheist. He said, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should have never found out that it has no meaning. Just as if if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be a word without meaning. See, the point is, we have eyes and there is light. We have something within us that senses meaning and there is meaning. Only God can explain that. And it's only as we come to Jesus that we find our true purpose. Let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the difference Easter makes. The difference that Jesus' death and resurrection makes to this world. Lord, we thank you that it gives us a solid basis for meaning and purpose. That we're not random accidents. That we only matter as we manage to convince ourselves that we matter. Lord, we thank you that you have infused us with a meaning and a value that can never be taken away. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus' death and resurrection, we can find our true purpose as we come to you, find our rest in you, and enjoy you forever as we recognize that Jesus is the one with all authority and this is the best news ever. Lord, help us to take that step if we never have and to find our true meaning and value in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.